I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Greetings, folks. This is Theology Unplugged, and we are going to have a special session here uh, this evening, this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're listening to it. One of the great things about podcasting is you can listen to it anytime. Morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, or night. Or morning, noon, and night. That's right. If you're really theologically obsessive, then morning, noon, and night. Um, it, we're we're kind of going to go off. Uh, the, the, you may be listening to this and wondering why it's not a regular weekly schedule that we have this one on, and... It is just being posted up here because sometimes we like to do special sessions where if there's events going on, things that we want to just where we're walking down the office and we say, hey, this just happened. Let's do a theology unplugged about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think we've got something to say towards the issue. Then we will do that. And that's what this one's about. We've been talking about this off and on for a few weeks now. It is. And that's one of the nice things about uh, just being able to do podcasts like this. You just throw one together and mm-hmm. Begin to talk about it, and that's what theology unplugged is about. It's about trying to get you guys um, not acclimated, because a lot of you guys are acclimated, but give you a resource for theological conversation to sit as a fly on the wall or to uh, just listen to what's going on theologically around the world. And we're definitely thankful for all the donors to the Credo House that make this possible, for sure. For sure, it, it would not be possible without you guys. Thank you guys for uh, keeping us uh, keeping us going, supporting the ministry. Our passion is to keep theology accessible and really it's like i wrote to a guy in an email last night it's not about just theology theology is the word that we use oftentimes but it's about beliefs Mm. it's about deeper beliefs and uh not making theology accessible for the sake of theology itself or information itself but because we want people to believe deeper Mm -hmm. believe more correctly um believe with uh, more balance those types of things. Well, we honor the Lord when we when we receive what He has given to us. Yeah, that is that is the goal. Paul says in Colossians, the goal of our uh, ministry is instruction and training. And mm-hmm. there's a big deal, folks. There's a big thing. To, I know that there's a lot. Uh, whenever we talk about applying this, mm-hmm. and we're certainly not about uh, neglecting orthopraxy, no. uh, right practice over right thinking, but. You have to have the foundation of right thinking. They need to go hand in hand for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One can be had without the other. We recognize that. But we can't really biblically say that our beliefs are um, glorifying God unless we're practicing. And we can't say that our practices are glorifying God unless we believe. If they're for the wrong reasons. Exactly. Well, folks, we've, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar. You may be. You, you may be one of those types that keep up a lot on the blogosphere or, or on, um, podcasts or just what's going on. You may go to a church of one of the people that we are talking about, but there's some, a friend of mine that, uh, is a co-blogger, I guess. I, mm. you know, in the blog world, you kind of get a, uh, um, a group of people that you feel like are your, uh, what do you call them whenever you work with someone? Posse? <laughs> yeah, posse. <laughs> but, but they co-worker? Are, yeah, co-worker, uh, co-laborer, yeah. but in a specific field of blogging. And I've got a bunch of those people mm-hmm. that I keep up with and, you know, have personal friendships with some of them. Mm-hmm. But one of them is, and you may know him, is Michael Spencer. And in a way, I've thought quite a bit about how to do how to do some type of 
to how to honor him, mm-hmm. how to do some type of tribute to him, uh, yet at the same time without being morbid. Mm. And where's his? Where does he blog? Uh, Michael Spencer is Internet Monk. Okay. He's, he's called the Internet Monk, and to me, Michael Spencer is the first real Christian blogger. Hmm. Uh, he is the one who has uh, not only set the uh, set uh, Christianity on the road of blogging, but really taught people. He's discipled me mm-hmm. in blogging, and not only that. I mean, it's just not blogging, but on a lot of other things, which I'll talk about in a moment. But the reason why I'm talking about this, and the reason why we're going to talk about the subject we're talking about today, is because Michael Spencer has cancer, mm-hmm. and what we learned this week is it seems to be terminal. Mm-hmm. If the Lord does not intervene, he has six months to a year to live. And that's really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's disturbing to a lot of us who who are familiar with him and and have seen him over the last four four or five years as he has become a a great influence in the Christian world. Uh, the Internet monk. He's not a monk in the sense of denominational affiliation with the Catholic Church. It's just kind mm-hmm. of a term that he uses for that Internet pastor. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of us have uh, be, become familiar with him and are. Somewhat saddened, disturbed, um, uh, confused over why God would allow this to happen to him at this time in his life. Mm. He's 53 years old, and I'm not sure what kind of cancer he has. I have not gotten that yet. It's just terminal. And being someone who is influential, I guess you would say he was a up-and-coming leader or a, a growing leader or becoming more and more influential, just now writing his first book. Mm. It's called uh, Mere Churchianity. Mm. Won't be out till September. Not even sure if he's going to live long enough to see this first book published. Wow. Very passionate person, very excited about this book, and I know that he's very disturbed. And I don't know, Michael, if you're out there listening to this, and I know you do listen to Theology Unplugged often simply because you have been such a, such a um, great supporter of us. But uh, I hope you're listening to this, and I hope you know how much uh, you and your ministry has meant to me personally and how much you have influenced me in so many ways and set so many tones for me. But um, I, I, think of, I think about you often, and I've been praying for you and your family. I prayed on the way to work today. We prayed as a staff. Mm-hmm. Was it yesterday or the day before for you? Mm-hmm. But uh, you, this is not just about Michael Spencer, but it's about suffering in general. And there's another person that... Uh, is going through something that's kind of odd as well. I'll let you kind of pick up there. Yeah. I mean, someone that I wish I was a lot closer to and uh, and knew better, I have only known this person from afar, but is uh, Pastor Matt Chandler. He's going through a similar situation as well. Um, he, I believe, on Thanksgiving Day of just uh, this past year, uh, passed out, uh, hit his head on the fireplace or s- something like that, and found out that he had a uh, a tumor that was in his brain or or somewhere in his head and has went through surgery shortly thereafter and is um going through all sorts of treatment and then I just just re- watched his video blog right before we came in here and it sounds like on Tuesday he's having an MRI to uh, just see if uh what's going on in there after all of his uh, radiation and chemo and everything and the thing that Maybe unique about about Michael Spencer and uh, and relatively unique about Matt Chandler as well is because the internet has uh, I mean it's definitely been around for fifteen sixteen years now but things with like uh, Twitter and different things have just 
made it possible and blogging as well have just made it possible for people to take a step closer to each other it seems like in uh, people who for me not even knowing who Matt Chandler is personally yet I can follow him throughout the day and the things that he's doing and and uh, I do know that that him and his wife decided purposefully you know, he is a pastor of a, of a large church a multi-campus church in the Dallas area but they decided purposefully that they would walk through this publicly and not privately and which definitely brings it up so he's basically saying that that I'm going to be very transparent and I'm going to be very public no matter what happens for good or for bad. Mm. Well, I'm going to get back to something you told me about of one of the video blogs that, uh, that he did not very long ago that has been really, I mean, goodness, it's, mm. uh, I've told it three or four times and we've, uh, as a family talked about it and talked to my sister today about it at lunch. Mm. I talked to my other sister yesterday about it, but it's something that I want you to bring up in just a moment. Don't yeah. mean to hold up too much anticipation, but I want to finish up the introductory issues uh, to what we're talking about. One other guy, and, and I, I, I think I'm, I'm least close to this guy, mm. but I know that he's kind of in these circles as well, and uh, he may be listening to this also. And uh, he has just posted an update about Michael Spencer. And I really don't know his particular situation as it stands right now. But his name is David Wayne, and he's the Jolly Blogger. And uh, he, he has been going through similar stuff. And I'm not mm. sure what his prognosis is. And I'm trying to avoid being too morbid about this. But from what I understand, it's not good as well. Mm. And he is influential, and he's a good man, pastor, a blogger, someone who we wouldn't know about again except for the Internet, wouldn't mm -hmm. be close to in any sense except for the Internet. But he's another guy that just kind of leaves you wondering, scratching your head, saying, God, why why bring these people into our lives? Why make uh, us close to people? Why make uh, people influential only to take them away? It seems to be if you're a business manager of some sort mm -hmm. and you know, some of your star employees, you know, you fire them what, right at the height of their of their influence and of their uh, impact that they're having upon the business. doesn't seem like good business management to me, much mm. less uh, does it make me happy. Mm. Uh, well, and this topic is, you know, we're definitely, we're talking about a few specific people here, and, and in no way are we, uh, you know, possibly we'll talk about this, but in no way are we saying that, that the, you know, it's okay if just a regular churchgoer gets cancer, but these people, that's not okay. And maybe we'll talk about that just suffering with, in how it relates to other people. But I think why we mentioned these three people is because there are influential people who all seem to be uh, really publicly fairly younger people who are going through real uh, tragic cancer situation and like Matt Chandler has young kids as well and I think when he found out his youngest was six months old and uh, and a lot of things like that but then also like NPR this morning we talked about was uh, interviewing uh, Rabbi Kishner who wrote a book called uh, oh I just blanked what's the name of his book again uh, uh, when bad things happen to good people yeah. And uh, and he has a, a view on suffering that is actually different than what we'll probably be talking about here. Uh, but it's definitely, it seems to just be floating around there in many different avenues, which made us think, well, we should sit down and talk about this. Yeah, and it is in our circles of influence right now. I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with these and have thought about it, prayed about it just like us. And well, it's a topic that will always be in front of us. It is, and it's nothing new. It's not as if we're on the cutting edge of dealing with something that the history of the church has never had to deal with we all have yeah. 
And, yeah. and every year or so, you're going to have to deal with it once again in your own life as new suffering has been introduced and you wrestle with it and you wrestle with God's position and why, mm. why it is that God allows these types of things to happen. I also wrote a blog a couple of days ago about, uh, I, I forget what I called it. It was, um, um, something about a cakewalk and referring to God's absence, seeming absence at times where, mm-hmm. where, you know, it, it just seems like, he, he's he's gone mm. you know you you look for him you're 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 wondering where he's at in particular circumstances you, you try to look for the greater good and the greater good doesn't really present itself and mm. you left confused sometimes disillusioned mm. because of god's absence and and i wrote a blog um really not only trying to relay my own uh current struggle with God's seeming disappearance in so many areas of my life, you know, whether it comes to, especially when it comes to my family and difficulties mm-hmm. that have gone through there, but um, also just dealing with his, his, how, how do you, how do you deal with that as a Christian, but trying to encourage us that there's something bigger that is going on, that there's something bigger that has happened, that that our justification for our continued belief and faithfulness does not come based upon whether or not God is not bringing about cancer or whether or not God is protecting my family. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I tried to get into in the blog series that I was in. And so it, it's important for us, folks. It's important for us to really wrestle with this. And I'm not saying for us to have an answer for everything mm-hmm. because I don't have an answer for any of these things. Mm-hmm. But I do have a theology that it does fit into. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, Tim, some of the problems that we have is the expectations that we move into the Christian faith with. Yeah, certainly. The expectations that if we become a Christian, and as long as we're doing what's right, somehow God will be much more evident in this area or that area, that we will see his presence because he fixes things or makes things better or leads us in a path that always brings about ultimate joy and ultimate happiness and ultimate comfort. Well, it's kind of the idea that every prayer request hopefully is followed up with a praise request or a praise report. Yeah. I guess I should say that, you know, every praise must follow every prayer. Yeah. And, And the thing is, the thing is, is that we want to have testimonies. We want to have testimonies of of God's greatness. We want to have testimonies of God's changing uh, that that he brings about for the better. We want to to be able to sit before someone with the gospel and and not only tell the gospel, but tell about how God has has moved in our lives in miraculous waves Mm -hmm. to make it uh, more legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our experience legitimizes to us a lot of times our beliefs. And sometimes when we don't have those experiences, we begin to question our beliefs. Mm. And if we have set ourselves up for experiencing certain things, you know, if, if somebody gets cancer, if somebody uh, is a Christian, then God is going to come in and or should more often than not, and that's maybe the key, mm-hmm. he should more often than not in the Christian's life produce a miracle, mm. not allow this person to be um, uh, stopped in the midst of his influence so, to so many people. Mm-hmm. Matt Chandler, I mean, goodness, he, he has this church, and it's such a 
such a great church and it's growing so much and so many people are being influenced and he's young how old is he I don't he's in his 30s for sure I'm not exactly sure but I and I you know what hits a lot of people too is that not only is he in a successful church but but I think a lot of the people and I was in this realm too that you can you can get yourself in a spot where uh, you start questioning well what should the church be about and and what should a pastor be about how should a pastor preach how should they preach the gospel? How should they preach the word of God uh, to be faithful to that, but then to also make sure that they're communicating effectively to uh, the generation that we're communicating to in the 21st century? And Chandler just seemed to, that the Lord was just really blessed, and still is, is really blessing him in being able to be an example, not just to people in his church, but truly an example to pastors all over the world of how to be faithful to the word of God and how to be faithful in loving the people and telling them what they need to hear. Hmm. Well, I got an email late last night from a guy, and I get these quite often from people who are on the verge of leaving the faith or have left the faith. And again, we're not really talking about the legitimacy theologically of leaving the faith. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a Calvinist, and I deal with that in a particular way. But I still deal with it. I mean, there's there's realities here where where people, at least from their own experience, see themselves as having trusted in the Lord at one time and having Mm -hmm. left the Lord due to something. Mm -hmm. And usually whenever I see this, there's a couple of things that people leave, put quotes around that, uh, what they leave for. And and one of those things has to do with theological reasons. You know, all of a sudden they've come in conflict with something that they believe is uh, is in conflict with uh, the worldview of Christianity. Mm Mm-hmm. Or they see, um, you know, alternatives being presented that are more persuasive. But another thing is, is suffering. Mm-hmm. And I got an email last night from a gentleman who recounted to me how slow and painful his process of leaving first evangelicalism and then second Christianity was. But he, he basically said that it was off of the same things as what I was talking about, that God started to seem so absent uh, and I can only imagine how easy that is to be and think whenever you're going through something like Michael Spencer's going through mm-hmm. or, or Matt Chandler's going through or David Wayne's going through. You know, where are you? This doesn't seem to be in concert with what I expect from an all-powerful God who is all-loving and that can change. I'm a, I'm, I'm a dad mm-hmm. and you're a dad. Mm-hmm. And if one of your children had something that they were suffering through, wouldn't you do anything in the world to stop that? Yeah, definitely. And that's that's our experience trying to create a mirror image of God mm-hmm. and say, God, if you love me, the only way I'd let my kid go through something and die is because I don't love him. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'd have to be cruel. And so we mirror that upon God, and our theology of God becomes based upon how we would be in our own minds if we were God. Well, and Rabbi Kishner even talked about that this morning. I heard him say that people come up to him. He had a tragic situation where his his, um, his son, son or daughter, son, I believe, stopped growing when the, they were like three or something and lived to be about 13, so never got above three feet tall and different things like that. And and he people would come to him and say, well, God was using that as an example or he was using that to grow you or all these different things that people would would come to him with. And he basically said, well, if that was true, 
I would have told God, no thanks, I'll pass on that example or mm-hmm. I'll pass on that training. You know, it'd be like me yeah. saying, well, I'm going to teach my son obedience by whipping him, you know, every day, whatever is, would be way over the top, you know, and where someone else could say, well, you could have taught him obedience by not, you know, killing him yeah. or by not doing something that is so over the top. Uh-huh. You know, can't there be a middle ground here? Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's kind of like I said in the blog, you know, as I as I in the blog was talking to God and I said, you know, can't I just learn this stuff in heaven? Mm. I'd much rather learn it there than here. Why can't you just instantaneously? I mean, aren't we going to be sanctified instantaneously? Mm. Whatever's lacking in us whenever we die. Mm. It wasn't the thief on the cross, although he didn't have any time to go through a growth process and sanctification and become more and more godlike. Wasn't he upon death and entering into the kingdom and then into paradise? Wasn't he in some sense sanctified? Mm. Is he, is he now in heaven? lacking a lot or does god you know allow you at that point to become faithful to become Mm. joyful to become all those things that he's training us to become right now Mm. and i said can i just learn this stuff in heaven Mm. i'd much rather just skip it here and Mm. and learn it in heaven and i think that's sometimes the way we think and Mm -hmm. you know we don't often have the answers and i don't really have a really good answer for that Mm -hmm. why it is that god wants us he 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 is determined to have us grow here. I, I just know that he is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what reflection that takes in heaven, say, if we don't grow here and what that looks like when we get to the new earth and the new heaven. I'm not really concerned about that, though. I'm simply concerned about trying to deal with the reality of it here because it is a reality. I'm not concerned about giving an answer for everything either because I can't. And there's no way. Mm-hmm. But here's one of the things that's interesting is we talk about God's hiddenness. And that's that's kind of the formal theological term that we use in maybe apologetics, defending the faith whenever we, whenever we are talking about this issue. I mean, maybe we'll even call this session God's hiddenness and suffering or something. Mm-hmm. But whenever we talk about uh, this, we're talking about his hiddenness. Why, God, are you hiding? Why don't you make yourself more clear? Um and I told this guy that I wrote an email to her. He wrote me the email. I said, well, you know, God's hiddenness is rather subjective um, and based sometimes upon our own personality and needs. Mm-hmm. Some people don't need God present in certain ways. Uh, some people need him present in other ways. Some people need him emotionally present, experientially present. Some people need him logically present and, mm-hmm. and, um, and rationally present. And some people just have a different different types of needs based upon who they are. So it's it's a relationship need. We need to be in relationship with him, but our relationship needs get fulfilled in different ways for different people. And so, you know, when we're talking about uh, God's hiddenness, it is going to be rather subjective because you'll come to some person who will look at one situation and we all wish we could mm-hmm. and see God present in everything. Yeah. And another person who just cannot find him, mm-hmm. you know, looks and looks and looks and. He's just not there. Yeah. One of the things that always uh, that uh, is interesting to me is is Peter. Whenever he he's talking about Christ, and Peter saw Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter saw him dead uh, before, die, and then risen. Peter experienced Christ in a way that you and I haven't. Not just saw him. I mean, they were close. You know, it wasn't just uh, I saw him passing by the street. I mean, it was 
they were in each other's lives just as much as two best friends can be. And and how much would we long for something like that? I mm. mean, each one of us would, and that would take away a lot of the hiddenness. Well, and it would seem even a month of that could sustain you, or even a day of that, it would seem, could sustain you for a lifetime. Uh-huh. And Peter had several years. And Peter's talking to his audience in, in, in First Peter, and I guess this is, uh, goodness, I think around in the early 60s. And he says, though you do not see him now, you love him. And that's really interesting to me because Peter at that time who had seen Christ recognizes the hiddenness of Christ. Mm. Though you don't see him, you love him. And we don't see him. And it had been decades since he had seen him. Yeah, yeah. And he's assuming that we're not going to see it. He's assuming that there is going to be a hiddenness to Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think there is that hiddenness. But more than that, you know, Tim... I think that uh, whenever we talk about God and suffering and our worldview, we have to ask a couple of questions. Is it consistent with a Christian worldview for God to be hidden? Mm-hmm. And I would say, I would say it's it's not only consistent, but it would actually be inconsistent with the Christian worldview if God was healing everybody. Mm-hmm. If you did become a Christian and your life became you know, hunky dory and everything Mm -hmm. was happy and everybody was healthy and, uh, you you were paying your bills and everything was, uh, beyond suffering. I I would actually think folks, and this is what I told this guy last night in the email. I said, the problem is, is that if everything did go well, I would have more reason to doubt the Christian faith Mm. than if everything didn't. And that's a terrible thing. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't wait. We all can't wait till that day of rejoicing in heaven when pain but the and reason is you gone. can't, you, the reason you can't wait is because we're in it. We don't experience that now. Yeah. You know, it's the. I mean, if we had it now, we wouldn't be saying I can't wait mm-hmm. until then. And, and we get confused by it yeah. because we go through it and it hurts. We get confused by Michael Spencer and Chandler and and the Jolly Blogger. We we and our own sufferings we get confused by it but at the same time i think there's got to be a a very deep realization that that the suffering is something we are guaranteed Mm -hmm. in the scripture yeah um it is something that the scripture is not silent about i mean why why even write the book of job yeah if these things are not normative now I, i i'm all for praying for the recovery and rejoicing in the recovery. I'm even for whenever somebody recovers to be able to uh, make some type of hallmark in that in our faith. Mm-hmm. In other words, saying, you know, God, that that is where I have met you before, is in your healing of me or, or your overcoming this difficulty. Like in our ministry, when we have financial difficulties, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and God comes through and fulfills our needs. We yeah. put a hallmark and we say, thank you, God. You are present in a, in a way that is confirmatory towards your, your involvement in our ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, and those who are listening from Westport, the church says that uh, before coming here, I preached a sermon where I talked about stakes in the ground. And I actually had a whole bunch of five-gallon buckets full of sand, and I had these seven-feet-tall stakes and stuck them all throughout and, and taught through that, too, though, that, that God intentionally desires his people 
to put stakes in the ground and and that's what most of the old testament feasts are are times i mean if you think of moses and all of the suffering of the people in Egypt, uh, then before he even leads them out of Egypt, out of a time of suffering, he's telling them exactly how to remember this every year. Because because the assumption is is that they're going to get to places where they're going to forget how God came through in the past and how they're going to need him to come through again. And mm-hmm. so it's those times when you're like, finally I can sing in the major chord again or in the major key, that then when you're in... A life that seems you're back in the minor key you can remember the times when you were singing in the major key and there is and you you got to be able to allow for that kind of stuff because we don't want to become uh theologically uh, have an expectation of absolute morbidity on everything you know like you know everything's going to be bad and it's going to stink and you know we're we're probably going to die early and get cancer and so is my family and god's going to do this there's no guarantee of that Mm -hmm. it's just that we are guaranteed some sort of suffering, some sort of trial, some sort of of, of difficulties for the most part. Mm-hmm. Not that we're to to hope in those things, and not that we're not to pray for God's deliverance and other things. I mean, the Bible is very clear: give us this day our daily bread. You know? Yeah, we yeah. want our daily bread. We yeah. want to be sustained spiritually and physically. God wants us to ask for that. God wants us. I don't know if I would say to expect it in the same way that we often expect things, but to hope for it and to have some type of balance to where you don't – folks, it's so easy to go through things and to, and to lose all hope. And even for you as a Christian, you don't lose hope necessarily and say, all of a sudden, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. I think that's, that's going to be more rare uh, than, than we think, but there's a lot of people who maybe not truly ever – taken the real faith in the first place but but to to not lose hope in god and not lose hope whenever you're praying for something just because god hasn't answered it mm-hmm. not to lose hope that god is going to peek around the corner even though he's been hidden from you for so long there's so many of you out there that god seems to have been hiding he, he's been hiding for a long time in your life and you're getting very discouraged because you just can't see him any longer. And he's mm-hmm. he's disappeared and you're suddenly questioning um, maybe not his existence, although some people could. But maybe just his his intentions for you mm-hmm. and saying, well, I'm just going to give up. And, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do. And I'm not going to worry about it. And I'm not going to pray for things because he's just going to do what he's going to do. God wants you to keep keep in the midst of this at his feet. He wants us to keep as beggars. Mm-hmm. Keep us hopeful beggars, but at the same time, keep us beggars who understand he knows what he's doing, even in the darkness, even in the hiddenness, even in the pain, even in the cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, and I really, I mean, Jesus is the perfect example. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but in this issue of suffering, it is so spot on. I mean, when in Isaiah 53, you know, just imagine Isaiah 53 Isaiah has this amazing privilege of being able to foreshadow the Savior who is to come to save the world. And in verse 3, he says he's despised and rejected by men. And he, check this out, he refers to Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, which that has has held me many times, just knowing that Jesus is, is referred to here as a man of sorrow. You know, we see in other places that he's wonderful counselor, he's he's prince of of peace, he's king of kings, but he's also a man of sorrows. And in verse ten it says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
and I've heard Chuck Swindoll in in a setting before say that when they're getting ready to hire people and things like that, which you were on staff as well. I don't know if that was true of you, but he that he would he would ask people, "How has the Lord crushed you?" And making sure that, uh, and I think it was attributed to uh, Charles Spurgeon when when Spurgeon said uh, that when the Lord crushed him, he knew the Lord was getting ready to use him mm-hmm. because he was getting rid of Charles Spurgeon so that it could be all God that would go forward from there. Well, you know, I mean, he he is. I mean, we, we are going to be crushed in a lot of ways, and some people are going to be crushed more than others, and we would yeah. rather not be crushed, and we'd rather just learn it all in heaven. I mean, I, yeah. I would. Yeah. Well, and the, the thing here, too, is, is that we can say, well, okay, he's going to be crushed, but then there's going to be a turn in the story. You know, it's like the middle of the movie where where the bad thing happens in the middle of the movie. But you're like, hey, I still know we have another hour left where yeah, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna finish well. But it's like, well, what happens when it doesn't finish well? What happens when in the middle of this, the crushing, the person dies, and it seems like the story's over? Mm. Well, you know, it's it's. Uh, I know we're running out of time again. We always get going on this, and it gets. It, it, I could go forever talking about this stuff. It's just, it's just, it, it's just so important. And and it's uh, self-medicating for me to talk about it. But, uh, you know, to distinguish between ending well and not ending well, you know, you got Job who who suffered tremendously, Mm -hmm. but it was given back to him. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if he would ever say, well, because I had more kids, it's okay that I lost these others. I don't think anybody could ever go there and and sacrifice one kid to gain two. That's just not it. Mm -hmm. So he still lost. Mm -hmm. And in the end... The suffering was still real. It wasn't like it just canceled out. Yeah. But God did restore him to some degree. And I think we can hope so many times. And I, I want people to hope for this. And I want people to listen to this. And I want you to hope that God does restore you and not lose that. But I don't want you to get too too much of an expectation that that will happen. Because you've also got the you've also got Lazarus, mm-hmm. who who. Who was the godly man? Who who Lazarus means God helps. Well, mm. Ironically, mm. Lazarus means God helps, and you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I'm not going to go through all of that, but but he was a beggar, and he 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 had sores, and the dogs would lick his sores, and he had to have his friends come and drop him at the gate every day in order mm. to beg. He he was reliant complete, and you hope one day that that the story's going to go that. That and then finally a man came by and healed him, or God mm. God sent an angel and healed him, or God God brought him and 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 brought him the riches that that the rich man had, and and but he didn't, he died, mm. and we're left to assume that in the story, he was the one who was helped by God, yet he died while the dogs were still licking his stores. Mm-hmm. You know, the dogs were still there. And there well, was no uh, restoration. And then the other Lazarus is the only place in Scripture, I believe, where we know that Jesus wept when he heard about him dying mm-hmm. as well. And, I mean, we know that he gets gets uh, raised from the dead. But still, I mean, this is where our theology still connects us to real life. It's not like, okay, let's go intellectual and we won't feel this. You know, Jesus, who knows even what's going to happen, still in the midst of suffering is weeping mm-hmm. and is just letting it go. And, uh, and yeah, I, Dr. Hannah, who we were talking about him earlier, uh, a wonderful godly man, professor at Dallas Seminary, I remember him hearing or saying once 
that if God did not spare the head of John the Baptist, who are you to think that you will fare any better? Mm. And when, and ever since he has said that, whenever I come across that passage, when you read that, you don't get any sense that John the Baptist has any time to prepare for his death or, or any time to write letters to people he loves or anything. You just hear this, uh, some filthy people who don't even deserve to be living who can come across with the power at the time and just cut his head off and present it on a platter. And uh, that is one of the godless men who, uh, you know, Jesus pointing to Jesus' first cousin and even pointing to him and saying that, uh, that John the Baptist is, uh, is the greatest prophet. Hmm. And, I mean, think about it, folks. He, he, he not only was that, he not only died, but he went through a time of seemingly doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, he, yeah. I'm sitting here in prison. It doesn't seem like this is God. He, he's hidden. Mm-hmm. Christ is hidden. God is hidden. I'm, this is not the way things are supposed to turn out, I don't think. Yeah. And he sends a message back to Jesus and says, are you the one or should we wait for someone else? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, I guess that's what we say sometimes in our suffering. Are you really the one? Or, mm-hmm. I mean, our current circumstances may cause us to doubt that many times. Yeah. The balance, folks, between these two things is, is tremendous and tremendously difficult to keep up. And one of the things that we're trying to keep people from doing is to to not head in the direction of of some health and wealth God that is up in the God waiting for you to ask for it in the right way, you know, yeah. with your with your hands held the right way or whatever it may be, or to expect that any form of suffering is coming about by your own personal actions, yeah. like it's some sort of retribution towards past things or mm-hmm. something like that. And then to balance the idea of. God is the God of healing, and, and he does want us to pray for um, uh, recovery and, and mm-hmm. to, to hope, I know not expect, but to hope for his intervention, and sometimes he does, mm-hmm. and, and to make hallmarks in our life. Yeah. Well, I think the constant here for me, and, and my wife and I went through some horrendous things over the last five years, but the constant for us and the constant for many people I know is that the greatest thing the the god we know god is there and we struggle with all these questions but i think i think the key in in walking through many of these things is god's people mm. and i think that that is the constant that throughout all the questions can be just such a great help and i, I there was one night that i'm thinking of particularly where my wife and i were just at our wits end it felt even hard to breathe and we called a few people who we know were godly people and the only thing that we could just say they knew the situation well it lasted for so long and the fear is that god's people when suffering lasts for so long in someone's life is that god's people will move on to the next big thing and leave you behind and but you're still living in the middle of it Uh you know and and for us though people who hadn't who hadn't let go once kind of the the initial big push was over but we're still living in the suffering and and for us to just be able to call people and just say you know hey we're there again can you just pray for us and for them to pray over the phone to say we love you to not try and figure out anything but just to have god's people there i mean that was um you know we can we can look we can talk about God, but I think that is a constant in anyone's life, mm. no matter what their situation is. That is a necessary ingredient through walking through this. Well, it's a good thing to end on um, Matt Chandler and Michael Spencer and David Wayne. You know, you may not uh, well, some of you we may not know, and some of you do we do, but uh, we we join with you and we mm. pray for you. And we know that uh, we can't pray for everybody, and there's a lot of people out there that we don't know that are suffering just like you. 
but my my prayer for all is that uh, the church the church will be able to to ground itself strongly and keep your faith strong god will guide you through this but i also pray that he will heal you because i'm i'm very selfishly involved with some of you guys and mm-hmm. I, I hope that he does and uh, we love you and uh this uh this podcast was brought about somewhat by your troubles that you're going through and there's no words of encouragement that i know of that can uh is a silver bullet but uh you guys know the lord you serve uh, until next time, folks, thanks for listening to the special broadcast of Theology Unplugged. Uh, Tim and me, Michael Patton, we will join you next time where we continue our series of, and I, depending upon whether it's posts, but I'm sure it posts right in the middle of our series on women in ministry, and we'll get back to the controversial uh, theological topics. You have been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. These broadcasts are made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For more information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit our homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.